0: Blog talk Radio. Hi guys and welcome to Getting Loopy. Join us every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern for a little bit of loopy fun. Well, today is the 19th of March in 2018. And tonight we're going to talk to Michael Cook from the DFW Fiberfest. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the show and how it got to be the way it is, and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Michael seems to be having a, a moment calling in. So as usual, um, I, uh, you know, we're having technical difficulties, but stick tight and we will get there. Uh, so else is going on. All the promised blog updates yeah, it didn't quite happen uh, as so often happens. A um, couple things I wanted to bring up. I am going to get that Tunisian cow pattern up really soon and working on that uh, as we speak. I'm actually stitching it while we're talking on the phone. And um, 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 I'm telling you what, my brain's gone. I like to blame it on jet lag, but ma'am, I've been back really soon. So, so what's going on here, Shay Loopy? I just finished a really cool project. For Sweet Georgia Yarns, Uh, there is a little tiny, tiny close-up of it on my Instagram, which is at hooked, H-O-O-K-E-D, the number four, life, L-I-F-E, L-L-C. So uh, check that out, and please follow me on Instagram if you do not. Also, you can rejoin or join the Ravelry group. Which is called Getting Loopy 2.0, and if you remember in the old days, you probably still are, unless you remembered to cancel. <laughs> but uh, we are posting guest information there, and of course the Facebook page, which is uh, on Facebook, just look for Getting Loopy, and there we are. Um, still haven't gotten the Patreon together yet either, so we're just cruising right along on premium, on my nickel until I figure out how to <laughs> how to make that different. Um, Okay. Apparently, the internet is out in my apartment, so I'm working on um, I'm working on um, the, the the unlimited data on my phone and, and my iPad at the moment because apparently God hates me and does not want it to come back. I did manage to get the chat room open tonight, though. So I hope you're all having a good time in chat. A um, couple of things. If any of you clever people are musicians or you know musicians or you are a crocheter who writes music, Getting Loopy could really use a theme song. For many years we used uh, Crochet It Away from Dora Orenstein. And um, we could always go back and use that. I would have to ask her, of course. But Dora is a good friend of Gooding Loopy, and I don't think she'd mind. But I'm wondering, since we are freshening things up, If we could, um, uh, if we could, maybe maybe we want to try something new. So, uh, if if you are musically inclined and you would like to help out with a getting loopy theme song, or you know a place that I could hire an artist because I don't like to, you know, steal work. Uh, If you know a place that I could hire an artist at a. Low price until at least I get my Patreon stuff together. I would love to hear about that because I would really like to get the theme song back. Um, I have also noticed that our guest has called in, so I'm going to put him on in one minute. I wanted to let you know that next week, which is March 26th at 9 p.m. Eastern, we will have Tamara Kelly from the Moogly blog. Tamara is a dear friend and a mover and shaker in the crochet world and uh, we talk all the time and so basically you get to hear us talk this time i uh, cannot promise that it won't be silly because we're very silly when we're together but uh, she's pretty awesome and i think that you will really enjoy hearing from her so tonight's guest michael cook is with the dfw fiberfest that's the dallas fort worth fiberfest Um, That is happening in April, and I happen to be one of many teachers. And one of the things that I have always liked about DFW is that it has always been very crochet-friendly, which as some of us may remember, a lot of the yarn festivals were not so crochet-friendly. So DFW has always had a soft spot in my heart for that. It was also the first place I ever gave a keynote speech, so that was pretty cool, and I like that they have knitting and crochet, and it is a volunteer-run organization, and it has grown from a teeny-tiny show into a regional powerhouse. So let me see if I can get Michael on the line. Michael, are you with us? I am. Yay! (laughs) Um, Howdy from Dallas. I don't know if it's my elderly brain or the, uh, the gods of... You're conspiring against me, but this is our third show back since Getting Loopy's been rebooted, and I have had technical problems every single week, so I'm very glad to see you. I'm glad you're here.
1: (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, no problem. So what is your position at DSW Fiber Fest? I don't think we have met in person, although we will next month when I'm there.
1: Um. I am on the board of the DFW FiberFest. As you said, it's a, a volunteer-run organization, so we have a nine-member board, and then we have five advisors as well, and then we have a whole big team of volunteers, and this year I'm actually going to be in charge of a new project that we're undertaking called the Fiberatory, and it's going to be, the idea is kind of like a laboratory but with fiber instead of labor, and we're going to, be, we're going to have areas where you can test drive tools and machinery, we're going to have a yarn tasting area where you can sample new things. We're going to have demonstrations and people showing how to do things and talking about what they do and, and kind of doing everything from just hands-on demos to up on the stage with a monitor kind of demos. And, and that's, I'm that's very part of what I'm doing that, for Fiber this Share.
0: Okay. Before I do, want to talk about that because I also know some of our uh, favorite crochet friends are coming. But could you talk uh, just a little bit about the history? One of the things that amazes me about the FW is it really started off very small with just a small circle of friends going, you know, hey, let's put on a show. I have a barn kind of a thing, and it has grown <laughs> into, you know, but it's such. It It's such a player in the industry these days, but it's one of the only big shows that's not run by a corporation. And um, can you you speak a little bit about how the show came about and how it managed to grow organically the way that it did? Because it's impressive as heck. So we started in 2005. We're
1: actually in our third facility home. We started at the Addison Convention Center and then moved to the Grapevine Convention Center, and now we're in the Irving Convention Center. And for those people that don't know North Texas, it doesn't make a lot of difference, but we've, we're in a space <laughs> that's much bigger than the space we used to be in. And uh, uh, year this I year, for the first time, we're actually we're using the whole Irving Convention Center instead of half of it, which is a big step for us. But I think it's one that we're ready to take, and we're, we're in a position of, of being able to make that choice. And so we've gone from 64 vendors last year to 95 vendors this year, and we're adding oh, more demo space. And <laughs> yeah, so the, the market is going to be almost a time and a half as big as it was last time. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, we've become kind of a big deal, and it's awesome. And I think that because no. we're a nonprofit, and because we're all volunteers, we can make a lot of choices that we wouldn't be able to make if we were having to be a company. Because we all love it and we all do it because we love it. We don't have to look at it and say, you know, is this gonna make enough money? We have to look at it and say, Is this gonna be awesome?
0: Right. Um were were the founders surprised? Was the board as a whole surprised that it grew at the rate that it's growing? Because honestly, this is, this is year 13 for the show. Again, the fact that it's gone through three venues and, and you know, gone up 150% even over last year. I, again, I was saying before, it, it's hard to not talk over each other on this show, and I apologize. The first year that I taught uh, was in Grapevine. So I okay. don't remember Addison, but I do remember Grapevine. And it was, again, it was, it was a miniature show. It was cool, and it was wonderful, and it, it was well-curated, which I appreciate, but um, I taught again probably three years ago. I uh, was definitely at Irvine, and uh, and now I'm back. So uh, it's just so cool to see it. But when people got together and thought, "Hey, let's do a little fiber show," did you did anyone anticipate the growth that you would have and the position that you would come to play in not only regional but national in in the convention circuit? Well, I think
1: you always hope that everything will go very well. I don't think you can plan for things to go very well, but I think that people had experiences of having gone to other shows and having gone to shows, you know, in the Northeast and shows in California and shows other places. And so people had ideas and had connections. And, you know, I I think that the people that founded it look at it now and are delighted to see how well it's done, and it's it's an an awesome team to be a part of, um, but I don't – you know, I really – I have no idea what they would say as far as if they could have foreseen the kind of growth that we've had. And I really it's, – it's like working for a really awesome, well-loved company because everybody loves FiberFest. And so you, you walk around with the shirt on and they're like, oh, my God, it's FiberFest. We love you guys. And so, <laughs> you know, we have we, – we really do have an awesome community and a really good support for that and d s w has got a very
0: on an average year
1: um the event volunteers typically range between fifty and seventy five and that part of that kind of depends on um you know who's individually tracking what but it's it's usually between fifty and seventy five bodies that are are making this all run and like i said there's a, there's nine board members and five advisory board members that that you know we, we take most of a week off and and are there every day all day and in the hotel overnight and, and, you know, devote ourselves to making it run. But then we've got a lot of people that do things like come in and spend a, a three-hour shift helping make sure that everybody gets their food or, or making sure that the bag and fiber check gets run. Or, you know, we've got people that do various volunteer shifts. And so uh, we've got a board member, Chris Hayes, who coordinates all of those people. And that's, that's her primary duty is to make sure that all of those volunteer jobs are taken care of and that all the volunteers are taken care of and placed right and, and checked in and managed and all of that.
0: And how many teachers, I know that you have a mix of uh, national teachers like me and local and regional teachers. And um, uh, again, I know that that number has gone up every year. I think the last time I was there, it, we had 10 national teachers. It was the 10th anniversary. So again, I seem to right. when I was in Grapevine, there were, you know, two of us or three of us. Right. So I was the national this, crochet teacher and
1: and there was a the national
0: knitting teacher and then there were plenty of other classes. I am not by any stretch of the imagination um, denigrating the class roster, but it it used to be very locally centered, and now, again, I, I seem to, you know, I joke that it's all the same 30 teachers and we're all on the circuit and we all keep running into each other, but um, <laughs> it, it's kind of cool how many of us are at DFW at any given year, you know, so how many but teachers this year? I actually taught
1: at FiberFest before I was on the board. I was, I was an instructor. I taught tablet weaving here one year before I was ever on the board, and I, <clears> I'm experienced on the other side of it because I travel and teach. And so I do, yeah. I do weaving, but I also I primarily do silk work. And so I travel and teach how to make silk. This year we have 13 of our headliner instructors, uh, Denise Bell, Henry and Roy Clements, Franklin Habit, Galena Kamelvila, Benny mm-hmm. King, Jillian Marino, John Malarkey, Stephanie Pearl McPhee, Leslie Robinson, Mary Beth Temple, Stacey Trock, and <laughs> Myra Wood. And then we have 16 instructors from our local and regional group that are teaching a variety of classes as well. So we have everything from spinning and felting to crochet and knitting and weaving. And we're really kind of broadening our reach and trying to get more variety and more, you know, more diversity. We, it's, it's kind of a hard place to draw a line, you know. Where do you, mm-hmm. where do you decide what thing goes here and what thing goes to a different show? And, uh, well, one kind of thing that we're, I we're,
0: personally have noticed in the in the hiatus, because, um, yeah, as you may or may not know, getting loopy, uh, we were, uh, pretty big from 2008 to 2011, and then this show has been on hiatus for six years and is coming back. Um, and one of the things I know you new listeners are getting sick of hearing us old folks talk about the olden days, but, um, one of the things that amazes me bringing the show back and listening to some of the older episodes is the difference in the industry and in that time. And my personal experience in 2018, as is different from, say, 2010, I think in 2010 we still had a lot of the vision that you were a capital K knitter or a capital C crocheter and never the twain shall meet. And it was very, uh, you know, you did one or the other, whereas I feel like a lot of the students that I see at the conferences now or women and men that I interact with either on social media or for any of my other projects, um, particularly the younger ones, identify as makers, not crocheters or knitters or quilters or spinners or weavers, that they're more interested in expanding their own personal reach. Is that something that you are finding as well?
1: I definitely see that. I think of a lot of people as as being multi-craftual. And you know mm-hmm. they've got a variety of different interests. Uh, we actually are incorporating one particularly interesting class for this one. Franklin Habit teaches primarily knitting, and John Malarkey teaches primarily weaving. And so we're doing a project class where you knit the weave the edge weave, weave the center and knit the edges. What I'm sorry I mixed that up. You weave the center and <laughs> knit the edges of the same project. And so you take Franklin's part of it and you take John's part of it and you put the two different crafts together to make this finished piece. And it's interesting to see that kind of synergy.
0: You can afford to try that too. I mean, you were talking about, you know, uh, DFW essentially being, you know, hey, this sounds cool, let's give it a shot. I think one of the reasons, and I guess I'm answering my own question here, but one of the reasons I think that DFW has been such a trend setting organization and has moved up into the pantheon the way it has is because you are trying things that uh, more conservatively run festivals wouldn't try because they think, you know, oh, well, we know that's not going to sell, so we're not going to do it. I feel almost like you have more latitude with trying out techniques and trying out classes like that because obviously you care if you sell, you don't want to lose money. But um, you know, you don't have a corporate bean counter standing over you telling me your return, telling you your return on investment stinks, and you can't give it a shot. One of the things that the only thing that depresses me about DSW is I never get to take anybody else's class (laughs) because (laughs) you're always welcome to
1: join us to just come take classes.
0: Thank you, Joni, who says the same thing. That Joni Waller is the teacher coordinator. <laughs> and she says it every year. I don't know why you just don't come, <laughs> even if you're not on the roster. Um, speaking of that, with the exception of Franklin Havitt and Stephanie Pearl McPhee, who have devoted fan bases there, one of the other things I think is interesting, and, I, and I'm, I'm bringing this up for a reason because it's something else I want to talk about. Um, By and large, for the headliner teachers, you do not have many of us back-to-back. And it was always said to me that the reason is you wanted an impetus. You didn't want somebody to look at the roster and say, oh, I might take Mary Beth's class, but eh, if I don't take it, she'll be here next year. I I think it's interesting that... um, while one in particular of the big corporations that promote shows tends to have the same 15 teachers over and over and over again, and they'll change their offerings, but it's the same teachers. One of the things that has always interested me about DFW is that you guys seem to have made a conscious decision to change the roster up frequently. Is that still we the case? We definitely is that do. something that you guys have done on purpose?
1: We definitely do. Um, and we make a point not only of – of trying to find a variety of teachers, but we try to find, you know, we look at, you know, has this person taught this class in the DFW area within the past two or three years. And we try to, we try to constantly update and refresh. And we, we will actually, this time, there's an instructor that's teaching a class that's something she hadn't taught before. And so she's adding it to her class roster and teaching it here. And so we try mm-hmm. to encourage that sort of diversity where, you can, take your, you, know, you can come here and take something that you haven't seen before, that you haven't had before. And I think that that's a good, a good mix of, you know, we have a certain amount of what I think of as the meat and potatoes classes that are, right. you know, something that is dependable, we know is going to be reliable. And then we have the, the foie gras classes where we know it's going to be interesting and different and, and maybe something you don't want to do again, but something you're going to be fascinated <laughs> with learning that's going to be that's going to be novel. And so we we do try to make a point of we will ask instructors if they could give us a class they haven 't taught before if they if they 've been thinking about doing something and just haven 't had an audience for it yet, or things like that so we're we 're always trying to kind of of you know keep current and keep keep going forward and we do make a point, like you said of of not having a set roster, so we 're always you know we 're always looking out but there are so many fascinating teachers there's so many people that. I mean honestly we could we could have twice as many teachers and still have everybody teaching something fun and interesting. It's just we have we have paced ourselves in our growth and I really feel like we're in an awesome place because of that. And well
0: I th- I think that's it, why it you're as to, you it allows us to you know you didn't well, exactly. just back and and grow faster than you had the infrastructure and and um so to circle back around which I'm I'm sneaking this point in for those of you who may have missed it uh, a couple of years ago, there was something called uh hashtag fair Fiber wage that was very big on twitter and uh I was very involved in it, and uh weaving teacher Abby Frankmont and some other people chimed in but one of the things so what fair Fiber wage was was a group of us uh led by uh well I don't want to say I led it I didn't lead it I was not a leader, it was not that kind of a thing, but I was mouthy about it because. I'm mouthy, um, but it was interesting. One of the things I thought was interesting was that um, when conversations were happening, so it was the teachers saying we're really tired of being taken advantage of by certain large corporations that change their policies without telling us or you know, treat us in a sort of underhanded manner. And it's okay if you need to change your business policies. And it's, you know, it's all business. If But it's up to the corporations to say, this is how we're going to run this show. And you as a teacher have the opportunity to decide if you would like to apply for the show or not apply for this show. In particular instance, the contract... Terms changed wildly between the time that the national teachers applied and were hired, and the time that the contracts came to sign, and uh, anything that we expected. So that uh, again, it was interesting because it actually did trend on on Twitter, which was bizarre. Uh, but I do think it was an uh, it was a mix of it happened to be Labor Day weekend, it happens which happens to be a three day weekend in the U.S. Um, Three or four of us happened to be venting about it at the exact same time. So suddenly we have, you know, a thing about knitting teachers being underpaid was trending on Twitter for three days. Um, It was a little bizarre. But one of the things I thought was cool, some people, you know, any strong position that you take in the world, there's going to be somebody pushing back. And there was a small but vocal minority on Facebook, on Ravelry, on Twitter, on the social medias, on our blogs saying, you know why do you think you should get paid a decent wage? You're doing what you love, and there, you know, why, why, what? You know, you're you're knitting for a living. That's not a real job. How dare you complain? And man, the DFW board was right there, going, "That's not how that works." You know, <laughs> the, I was so impressed that so many from the DFW board were right there. Saying, you know what, these are professionals and this is how this works and you can disagree and you cannot not disagree and everybody on the board was very careful to not come in and, you know, cuss and carry on like I always want to and try not to. But I was so impressed how many people from DSW, whenever there was pushback, be it on Facebook or somebody's wall or somebody's blog or somewhere on Ravelry, somebody from your board was there going, Yeah, I see your point and I'm trying to understand your side of it, but no, this is not how we treat our teachers. This is not how you build a show that runs. And despite the fact that you're a nonprofit, you also can't afford to, you know, lose all your money every year or you wouldn't still be here. Um, I, and I, I, we always hold up DFW as the, sort of the shining beacon of how you treat teachers. You treat us better than everybody else always. And I remember sitting in our house One of my favorite
1: comments. When, but when it's, all that was going down, I was following a lot of it as well.
0: We, we all complain Sorry. when you guys aren't listening about how we can't teach there any weirder because all of us would. <laughs> but I remember, and I won't mention names because I don't have permission to share other people's stories, but the last time I was there, so it was either 13 or 14 last time I was there, it was the 10th anniversary. So that was 15, right? That would be right. It was the 10th anniversary. Uh, so actually, it would, it would be 16. The last month. Sixteen, really? God, my brain.
1: Yep. Um, it, was, it was founded. It was founded in 2005, but the first show was 2006. The organization right, was, well, was convened in 2005.
0: That. But there we all were, <laughs> and it might have been 2015. Maybe I'm wrong about the 10th anniversary show, but it's not important. But there are a selection of teachers who were unable to fly out Sunday night, which some of us stay till Monday. And we were sitting in your hospitality suite, which was really nice. And we were having a, an adult beverage or two. The show was over. Everybody was relaxed. And we start telling more stories. The teacher's like, oh, I went to this conference and this terrible thing happened. And, oh, I went to this conference and this terrible thing happened. And somebody else would pipe in and somebody else would pipe in. And and it was a really fascinating conversation because we were not in the public eye. The only people that were in the room were your board members, some of your board members and some, some of your teachers, you know. And at one point, somebody made a joke about we shouldn't talk about the way we're treated elsewhere because we're going to give these people ideas, you know, about ways they can cut back. And everybody on your board was like, oh, "We would never, we would never treat you guys like that." Oh my God, how does anybody teach in this industry if you're taught like that, treated like that? But again, it, it's so impressive to me. And again, I know I'm talking about my lot a lot about myself, but. but Fair fiber wage was important to me. It was something I cared very deeply about, um, you know. And and my post generated a lot of talk, which I like. And I was involved in getting some extra money for some teachers that were in an event, you know, that had gotten caught up in this. Whether it's causation without correlation or not, fair fiber wage was two thousand. 16, September of 2016, and for those of you paying keeping square at home may have noticed I ain't teaching 2017. <laughs> I suddenly didn't have any teaching jobs. Um, now, was it because of fair fiber wage or was it coincidence? I don't actually know. I would like to think it was a coincidence, but I tell you what, the minute you guys were done, we're 17, I got a phone call saying, if you want to come back next year, it's yours. We know what you gave up. And Uh, Again, I'm just blown away by the support that you guys show the professional teachers, whether they be knit teachers or crochet teachers or or whatever. The fact that you treat us, you know, you understand it's a business and you treat us like we're business people, which we always appreciate, but then, you know, we're also like we're, we're your guys, you know. And the fact that the organization has been able to go to bat for us in a way that didn't hurt your own business, but let us know that we were, un, you know, just completely 100% supported by your organization. Man, it means a lot. It means a lot that you guys have both been able to work in an ethically and supportive manner, but also, you know, you're also walking proof that it's not a money loser to treat people well. It's not going to exactly. ruin your business by treating other people with respect. So I know I sort of ambushed you with that, but man, it's something that <laughs> is really important to me personally. And you guys all need to know that we all talk about it. You know, teachers get together and talk like any other job. You know, if I was I, a police officer, I'm sure I'd stand around and talk with other police officers. Knitting and crochet and like fiber teachers, I've, we I've talk. got kind of a perspective on that. We talk to that. each other, you know. Yeah. I've got a, a different so, perspective
1: than a lot of people on that because I've been on both sides of it. You know, I've been on the side of the organization that's hiring instructors, and I've also been on the side of, of flying somewhere to teach. And you do. You get a whole range of people that treat you as a hobbyist doing something in your spare time, and then you get people that treat you as a professional providing a, a valuable service. And we make a point at DFW FiberFest of even though we are all volunteers, we all behave professionally. We all treat our guests and our, our instructors professionally. We handle everything top notch. We try to be high touch and, and take care of everything as, you know, in the best way possible. Like you said, we have the hospitality suite with where we, you know, allow our, all of our instructors to 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 feel like they are valued and respected. And I feel like because of that, it it gives the whole event a better feel of community and caring and, you know, even our, we, we respect our shoppers, we respect our vendors, you know, and we've had a lot of vendors that say nobody comes around and checks on us at this other show. Nobody takes care of us at this other event that we do. And like you were saying, how could you not? How could, how could we not love the fact that they're there doing what they want to do for us and making our event a great success. And, and you know, it's just that, that spirit kind of raises the whole thing. And one of the I things that I think is really kind happy of fascinating. Teachers
0: teach better. Happy vendors. Oh, everything. I mean, well,
1: happy vendors sell more and, yeah. you know, happy shoppers buy more. And I, I just think that everybody having that, that awesome experience. But we've actually, I mean, I have to say, we've, we've had a couple of people come to us and say, so how do you do this? Really really you meet them at the airport, like a person goes and gets them personally. And yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we've, been, you are the
0: we've only been people to do that, I'm telling you. We've been, been we've been working on on kind of
1: sharing that model. You know, we're trying to we're trying to help help raise the raise the standards for everything on that because and I think some of it honestly, I think it's southern hospitality. I think, you know, being being from Texas and being in the South, we do have that expectation of I couldn't possibly meet you at, at the airport without a cold beverage. <laughs> and, it, yeah. of course, it, it, I will have cold sweet tea for you, but I'll also have water dry and sparkling because I know that not everybody wants sweet tea, and this is Texas, but, you know, so people yeah. are coming from all over. But, but we, you know, I'm, I'm going to show my up myself at the airport to go get you.
0: Do, it's also good business. You know what I mean? I think that's oh, the point that I'm taking a really long time to get to you guys. But my point <laughs> is we have all been to shows where the vendors feel abused or trod upon or whatever. And they're no fun to shop from because they're unhappy and they're doing their best and they're trying to put a, a happy face on it and sell me my yarn or whatever. But, you know, we've all been to events where people are not happy to be there and, uh, you know, everybody keeps saying, oh, you just like DFW because, you know, they bring you lunch and they pick you up at the airport. Well, sure, I like DFW because they pick pick me up at the airport. But that is not the only reason that I like DFW. And the vibe of it, if you haven't been and you are in a position to go, I highly recommend you check it out because I just think the vibe of that show, and I know that sounds a little woo, but the vibe of that show is different from all the other big shows, but it's just its just as big now. Now tell me about, I don't want to rant anymore, tell me about um, have you had issues curating the marketplace now that but it's bigger because in the same way that getting a teaching slot has always been very hotly contested, I know that for a long time there you've had waiting lists a mile long to get a vendor space. One of the things I like about the vendor space is there's a lot, of stuff there that you can't find any other place. And, again, you go to some of these shows and somebody's selling LuLaRoe and somebody's selling irons and somebody's selling back scratchers, and you go, yeah, okay, I, I get you had to fill this space, but, you know, that's not very fibery. And, again, that's something that doesn't happen at DSW. It's it's because I think there was so much competition for the spaces do you feel that the market is curated? Because that's all kind of how I thought about it. You would always see things at TSW that you wouldn't see anywhere else.
1: That is exactly the word that we use. We consider it a curated marketplace or a juried marketplace. That That is a huge, long meeting. We literally go through an entire, probably four-hour-long meeting of slides, of vendors, and we, we pick the ones that we think are going to bring the best mix of products and the most interesting products. And we try to, you know, we try to have a good mix of established brands of yarn and independent dyers. We try to have handmade everything from wood goods and pottery to um, shirts and printed and bags and everything. We try to have this complicated mix. And literally as we speak, our our president and the marketplace manager are sitting there and, and playing shuffleboard with this, this, uh, this giant grid of the market to try to make sure that as you walk down the row, you're going to see one booth next to another that has things that go together but aren't the same type of thing so that it is a, a, a good shopping experience as well as being a market full of fascinating things. And so we, we spend a lot of time and energy. We have one person whose whole job at this event is vendor management and then we have several other people that that spend a lot of time weighing in on it and helping and assisting. But we we definitely curate that, and we think of it just like you would with the museum exhibit being curated. We try to make it so that as you walk through, it is not just a market full of fantastic stuff, but it's an experience that is pleasing to walk through and harmonious. And it is just like seating people at a – complicated family wedding because there's some people that have to be next to other people and some people that can't be across from other people and some people that, that, you know, that won't sit next to aunt Suzanne, but there's, you know, we're, we're always constantly moving those around so that this group we know has this particular kind of setup that needs to be an end cap. So this other one has to be on a flat space and this, you know, so each one of them has its own unique needs and that's, it's a lot of, of, Effort going into that, but I think it works. I think that's, I think that again, like I was talking about with being high touch with taking care of our, our instructors and taking care of our vendors, being high touch with that and spending that time going through and making sure that the marketplace is just packed as, as tight as we can with fantastic stuff. When people come, they look at it and go, wow, this is a great show. And so well, I and it you know, also that's, makes we definitely, FW,
0: it's a destination show. You know, I'm sure when it started, it was local, but now people in the same way that they, you know, save up to go on vacation or save up to take a class or save up to go, on another sort of a vacation people people I'm amazed by the women and men that I see in the hotel lobby and they'll be like oh well eight of us piled into a minivan and we threw the spinning wheels in the back because we want to take spinning classes and you know here we are in the lobby but we all came together and we drove 20 hours or whatever because they want to get there now before we run out of time uh, we're down to eight minutes, just so you know. Um, I want to talk a little more in-depth about the Fibratory. I understand that uh, the uh, Linda Dean was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she said the um, uh, the Crochet Masters group is coming. Is the Knitting Masters group coming as well?
1: They are. Both of those have sets of tables in the Fibratory area, and both of them are also doing uh, symposia. So they're going to have a day of... of master knitter and a day of master crocheter classes separate from the other instructor classes. So they're not listed on our instructor list and it kind of is managed a little differently, but those they're doing classes and they're also going to be in the vibratory offering advice, helping. I don't, I I can't promise what they're doing, but I know that they're going to have a table in there on each side and they're going to have space where they can sit and work and talk to people about their programming and, you know, share their experience there, which is very and, cool. And uh, do I,
0: I again correct me if I'm wrong? Did I read that Stacey Trock is going to be doing her learn to knit,
1: learn to crochet
0: classes again?
1: She is. She is indeed. Uh, we had those last year. We had a, a remarkably good experience with that. We had a lot of people who have found out about it and and you know actually came to the show because they heard there was a big inner class, and that's that's always a hard mix to get a good balance of classes that are appropriate and friendly for beginners with classes that are sufficiently challenging and interesting for experienced intermediate and advanced students. And so having those, those uh, quick, easy, low barrier to entry, we actually provide uh, donated from, from yarn companies donated hooks and, and uh, yarn so they don't have to walk in with supplies and they walk out with, you know, learning a technique and taking home tools to keep working. And I feel like it's, it's kind of cultivating tomorrow's knitter, you know, or, or tomorrow's crocheter or tomorrow – even, you know, people that are going to develop a lifelong experience with, with knitting and crocheting and, and going into weaving or going to spinning or, you know, continue to develop their fiber arts. But mm-hmm. we, uh, we like having that, that sort of beginning experience so that people can find out. We're reaching out a lot to uh, scout groups now because we're finding that they don't have access to a lot of this. And so we're, we're actually going to be next weekend at a Girl Scouts of America event at the American Airlines Performing Arts Center. I'm sorry, AT&T Performing Arts Center, mixing them up. Um, and <laughs> Girl Scouts of America is going to have between two and 400 scouts and groups, and we're, you know, we're going to be out there showing them how to make pom-poms and hopefully getting them involved in coming out to FiberFest and learning to knit or, or shopping for yarn or, you know, having that whole
0: FiberFest experience. Well. But- and we talk about this at the trade shows all the time, you know, where, where are we going? Uh, you know, we've, we're just coming off a market contraction and are, you know, what are we going to do next? I, I think you've got the answer, which is if we don't build new consumers, <laughs> then we don't have any, whether they're going to buy yarn or buy a market pass or take a class or whatever. If we don't, if you didn't, come from a family where the fiber arts tradition is strong, how would you know if it wasn't for a drop-in class like you guys are having or, uh, you know, Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or, or whatever? I mean, if we don't... I don't know. The industry... I think you know, a lot of us... more the, and more video the classes. There's more and more digital stuff, but I don't think any... And this could be my age, but I don't think anything beats holding the yarn in your hand. You know, holding the needles in your hands and, and watching stuff grow.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's very much a for me the best way to learn it and the best way to teach it is to actually have my hands touch their hands and pass it along. But there are a mm-hmm. lot of people that have experienced this skipping a generation. You know, a lot of people say my mm-hmm. grandma knitted, but my mom can't knit, and so mm-hmm. they didn't learn it when they were growing up. They didn't they didn't teach it to their daughters. And you know we had a lot of people that years ago went into careers and, and didn't pick up the handcrafts, and now they're wishing they had. but a lot of people are, are now learning you know they're learning to bake, they're learning to make cheese, they're learning to spin <clears throat> they're doing all these things that their grandparents or even their great grandparents may have done, but that their parents didn't do and I think that that gives a lot of people that sense of heritage, but it also gives them a chance for I mean, even though it's an ancient experience, it's totally modern. It's totally novel to them. You know, they're having a brand new experience learning to knit that they've never seen somebody do it before, because that's just not hasn't been part of their life. Or they're learning. You know, all of these these making crafts, these creative crafts, I think you know have gone through that that sort of a, a, a skill gap, and we're we're trying to trying to pass this on to more of a new generation.
0: Well and again I think a lot of this new generation is coming out without the divisive attitudes that that beat up my generation. You know, if you right. knit you, you shouldn't crochet, you know? you know, if you were a crocheter then you couldn't be a spinner. You know, I I do think this having skipped a generation has sort of taken some of the uh the, the tribal loyalty out, you know, it's like, <laughs> I was joke that my mother um, my mother passed a couple of years ago at 94 and she was very crafty both of my sisters and I you know are seriously crafty we all teach different disciplines but my mother was a crafter out of necessity she grew up in the depression and if she wanted a needlepoint right. seat cover she made it and if she wanted a, a knitted sweater she knit it and if she wanted a crochet a blanket she crocheted it she wasn't precious about what craft she was doing she did whatever one she right. needed to do to get the result that she wanted and I think we're seeing more of that and I think it's a good thing
1: Oh, definitely. And I think, that, I think that people being able to make the things they live with makes them feel empowered and makes them feel like they are having a more whole life. You know, whether that is learning I to make really your like food or learning to make your really blankets.
0: And, and there's a lot of, of people on both sides of the coal fence uh, feeling a lack of control. I I think maybe you know. Again, I think you're right. Having something tactile that you can live with, that you can, you know, I can't control uh, if somebody I voted for didn't win or somebody I didn't vote for did win, and I I can't control what's going on in the world, and I'm scared about it. But I can, you know, I can control what's in my living room.
1: Well, it's empowering. You, you know that you made this blanket, you made this sweater, you made, you know, you can, you can literally feed and clothe yourself. It's, it's a real skill and it's a real sense of capability that I think, I think a lot of people are coming home to. I think a lot of people are enjoying that experience of being able to make.
0: Well, thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming on the air. Before uh, you just heard uh, the British lady yelling at us that we only have 90 seconds left. So, website, tell, tell people what they need to know to find us. It's
1: DFWFiberFest.org. And just look us up. We are DFWFiberFest on everything. And so it's also uh, hashtag DFWFF. And we've got Facebook and Instagram and all the social media things and Twitter. and But like I said, DFWFiberFest.org. And you are welcome to come and shop. There are still a few class slots left, but I have to say we're about 75% sold-out classes at this point.
0: And, and guys, um, nobody's so in please... my Tunisian Entourloch class, though. So give it a little love. <laughs> I'm very sad about <laughs> the one class that, uh, you know, we talked about experimenting. This is an experiment that has gone horribly wrong so far,
1: <laughs>
0: But So if you want some individual attention, you crocheters. Take my Tunisian Entrelac class because uh, I guarantee you I will not be sold out. <laughs> You'll get plenty of love. But org. If you've been before, yes, I look forward to seeing you. If you have never been and you're thinking about it, I hope that we uh, got you off the fence because it's a wonderful, wonderful event. Michael, I'm hanging up on you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, Once again, you guys, we have Tamara Kelly from Moogly Blog coming on next week, which is the 26th, and I'm busy lining up some other guests, so if you have some guests you want to hear, um, please hit me up on the Facebook group, which is Getting Loopy, on the Ravelry group, which is Getting Loopy 2.0, and the email, loopy 2 at gmail.com. I'm going to head off into the sunset. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining us, and please tell your friends, Getting loopies back. We need to get those audience numbers up, okay? Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.